Welcome to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, how it all applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. My name is Brooke, and this is episode 88. Big 88. And today, uh, everybody bailed on me, and so we have a wonderful special guest that is better than the rest. Uh, Kelly Morris is here. Hello. I almost called you Kelly Scott. Oh, no. no. Daryl Scott's with us. You know. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Daryl's not here. Kelly's here. Um, thanks for coming in. Thanks for being here and uh, taking some time and sitting with us uh, or with me. Forget them. They, yeah. they all bailed on me. Losers. So. I know. Punks. I just realized I forgot to get an 88 sports trivia That's okay. fact for That's you. That's okay. Lauren, Lauren's not here, so he doesn't, he doesn't get to drag us down right and that's my that's my downfall is that i can talk about sports all day long and, i know y'all can but i can you know try to focus and then he takes it to sports i'm like okay now we're now i'm 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 sucked down into the hole here as well and, and i the listener can fast forward that's so. right. <laughs> and you can fast forward through all this well we have an interview um that we're going to get to here in a little bit with uh cesar diaz um one of our colonial guys who is a uh, a trauma therapist and mm-hmm. um, is uh, way smarter than for sure me on mm-hmm. all of this. Um, but uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So so we took a mental health break last week is what we called it. That may be a little too generous of a uh, of a, of a thing, but um, there was a lot of things going on and it was just adding a ton of stress to our week in trying to get the things done that we need to be able to get done. And so we decided to take a break last week and uh, come back into this and um, dive in today as we continue our conversation on dealing with trauma and just from or, or on, on dealing with mental health um, and today specifically about trauma. So um, just from the outset, I want to say, you know, as we talk about trauma today, um, trauma is uh, one of those one of those trigger happy uh, that, that doesn't sound right, but you know, it's really easy to trigger, um, somebody in those yes. conversations. So if you are somebody who is easily triggered by specific words or, um, or the ideas, or maybe something we talk about, please, please, please feel free to pause us, um, drop us all together and mm-hmm. come back next week when we're not going to talk about trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, come back, do whatever you need to do to keep your mind healthy and to, um, and, and come back later, come mm-hmm. back later. It's perfectly fine. You won't offend me. Um, you, it, Lauren and Tanner aren't even here to be offended. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's, uh, that's it. So, uh, so Kelly's here with us today. You guys have heard Kelly, um, I think a couple of other times, right? I think twice. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Of um, course. Before we dive into, uh, heavy topics, mm-hmm. um, I don't have sports for you today, so I'm not gonna no, not gonna drag you down that uh, bunny trail, as, Thank you. as Lauren would like to say. Um, I'm curious because uh, Tanner's household is like at the stroke of midnight. Oh yeah, on uh, on October 31st, yeah. which I mm-hmm. guess then is November 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is now. It's now like Mariah Carey time. Right. Like like the music comes out, the tree comes out, the lights come out, the Absolutely. everything, the the Christmas sweaters, the I don't know that you know. It sounds like it sounds like Christmas threw up in their house to me. Yeah. from from afar. I don't oh know. yeah. Uh, do you guys do you guys skip over Thanksgiving? 
Or do you, do you like, is it just like, oh, it's Christmas time? Or is there a Thanksgiving time in between? Here's my regular argument. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Go. Here's where we start. So prior to having kids, I was in October 31st. I didn't even celebrate Halloween. I just went straight to cutting out my paper uh, snowflakes and hanging them from the ceiling. Kay. And I was like, single Kelly loved Christmas that much that she started. <laughs> she just ignored Halloween too. Um, I like that you decorated anyway as a single person. Absolutely. That's awesome because it never crossed my mind. Well, I was not a decorative person anyway. It's like when I was single, it was yeah. like, there's nothing on the walls. No, that was like, my time to shine. The paint was on the walls. That yeah. was the point. Like it was, <laughs> I painted the wall. Why would I put something Done. else on it? Yeah, exactly. That was the work. Yeah. But now having children, um, my desire is to be like Tanner and Shelby, but you have to have a partner <laughs> and kids that are willing and drag my, him, drag him, do it. My partner and kids. Um, although they love Christmas very much, they are all very adamant about wanting to stay in that Halloween fall okay. mindset. So my okay. kids are still into pumpkins right now. My two-year-old wants to carry the pumpkin around the house every day. Okay. So we're still very much trying to live our best pumpkin life. And <laughs> that doesn't really vibe with my Christmas day. Corn, so is so. there is there a difference in your your Halloween or fall decor and your Thanksgiving I think the decorations or is it just the extension of those like we haven't yeah. been able to get rid of them yet yeah it's just the extension is Thanksgiving the like okay that's our drop dead date or like it happens that weekend afterwards I will hold off on my Christmas crazy uh -huh. until probably next Monday um so the week of so Thanksgiving, the week Thanksgiving yes the week of Thanksgiving I will go crazy okay. christmas crazy and and that's as far that's as long as they can hold me off for so the so thanksgiving the, is still just a random day in the middle yeah, somewhere yeah. like it doesn't matter it's, there's like halloween is just a random time in the middle of fall decorations listen, and then it's christmas exactly okay. and this is the holiday season brooke they call it a holiday <laughs> season not a holiday day uh -huh. and so uh -huh. my holiday season includes thanksgiving and christmas and if they all happen to be decorated similarly that's not my problem <laughs> The stores agree with me. Oh, so yeah, what am yes. I supposed to do? I mean, it was like, what, September? And it was like, here's Christmas things. I mean, I buy okay. my Christmas decor in July, so. Well, you know, <laughs> all right. I think we try to get ours in like uh, January. Yeah. You know, when everybody's like, just all get it the off leftovers the shelves. All the leftovers are 75% off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's smart. Actually, I might adopt that policy. It's smart until your Christmas lights don't match and each <laughs> strand is different. It's like, oh, that's warm and that one's bright white. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, well, at least you have Christmas lights up. Daryl, well, again, a supportive partner, Daryl refuses to put Christmas lights up. So he's like, <laughs> I'm just going to take them. Yeah, he won't do it. Okay, yeah. I lived my life a long time. I lived my life there. And yeah. then and then um, I lost. Um, yeah, so we, we, we actually dove into, uh, I say we, um, well, I guess I, I guess I was lumped into there. Uh, the, the tree went up mm -hmm. um, Saturday, I think, during football. Um, so I didn't pay attention. I had to go get the boxes and all that stuff. I had to mm -hmm. get all that. But then the tree went up, and um, after football, I decided, you know what? The weather is getting worse. Yeah. Uh, now may be the time. I just As I've always, I, like the last several years, I've tried to just say, all right, when there's a nice Saturday, yeah. now it's time to put the Christmas tree, the, the lights up outside and right. deal with it. And uh, so I took a couple hours on a nice Saturday and I put up some Christmas lights and 
I wish you would have let me know. I would have hired drive, you out. Don't drive by my house. Like they're <laughs> they're not phenomenal. Like I keep losing lights. Uh, I keep losing. Str- I, I know I threw away multiple strands last year that were just they were dead and they didn't work anymore, or yeah. half of it didn't work. And I was like, oh, this it's is. It's always just... that one bulb too that you gotta. I know, seriously. And so find. we we like tried to wrap some trees and stuff last year, and mm-hmm. I realized in the process I don't have nearly enough lights for this. And so this year we have like a strip across the front of the house and a couple poles. I love that when your aspirations are so big and then you just are like, this, uh, this is the best I got. It's all I got. (laughs) I've done so much more. It was like, I did the whole outline of the roof and down the other side of the house. Yeah. I did all that. I actually, I added, um, the, the wheel on the back of my Jeep because I have a you plug. Did. And so That's so at night, cute. You see me driving along. I aspire to be one of so those wife, reindeer car people. Oh, with the, like in the windows? <laughs> in the windows okay. and the Rudolph nose on the front. <laughs> I just never have done it, but I aspire to it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. Of course. I yeah, did. Uh, I've done, I've done like, like sports flags. Um, Shocker. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, you and Lauren should have a competition to see who can be the most sports <laughs> can Christmas be the more themed. Sports sportsy. Yeah. Well, our our teams both play on Christmas Eve. Stop. So, um, we'll probably. You should have a bro party. Text, uh, Oklahoma played Baylor uh-huh. last week, two weeks, two weeks ago, something uh-huh. like that. Literally, he and I text through the whole of thing. Of course, you did. Yeah. And it was like we could have just like watched this together. That yeah. probably would have been <laughs> I could have been real friends <laughs> instead of text friends. Wouldn't have cost me as much on my text messages. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So, uh, so interview with Caesar co- with Cesar coming up. Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to that and and really dive into uh, some of of what he does and what he sees. Um, and and so you are here um, mm-hmm. not just because we love you and you did a great job and we appreciate you for being here. Thank you. But also because this topic is something that matters to you Absolutely. and is a part of your life. Um, we're gonna talk about the EMDR. Uh, which is uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Had to, gig- had to Google job. that because yep. I didn't. I didn't have any idea. <laughs> Lauren and Lauren and Cesar were, were were talking about like, yeah. So tell, so tell me about EMDR, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I'm also not with the mic, and I'm just recording it, so I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't have room to say. But can you tell us can what it is? Can you explain? I know sure. they did a little bit, but still, I was like, I, I'm, I don't know what's going on. So yeah. Um. So from Cesar's perspective, we'll get a little bit of uh, the therapist's perspective mm-hmm. in dealing with trauma and how do we how do we deal with some of this. Um. You have a different perspective, not from the therapist. Well, you may have some of that from from some of the stuff that you've done. Yeah. Um. But from a patient perspective yes. or the the the, ex, the trauma experienced person mm-hmm. um from their perspective and um so what what would you care to share with us um from your from your experience and um and and your story and things like that yeah so i am a huge advocate for emdr especially um the more that i realize that not a lot of people know what it is not not just that I mean we can all say EMDR and and some people will recognize the acronym but and not know the full terminology but um there's a wide range of people that have no idea about this therapy and that it exists and um it hasn't been around for a ton of time but really in the last couple of years it has exploded and people are finally discovering how it can be used and the the treatments that it can be um, it can be a positive influence for. I discovered EMDR back in the early 2000s. 
um, I had gone through a trauma when I was 20 years old with an abusive relationship. And I had had one encounter specifically that was a deeply traumatic event. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not realize how much it impacted me until years down the line. So I started having symptoms of PTSD from this experience, um, not knowing that that's what I had because I had the misconception that trauma was only for people who had these massive, like if you've been in a war situation, Mm -hmm. if you have been in a car accident, an Mm -hmm. extreme car accident, if you've had um, some type of physical injury. um, So like an acute an acute trauma. Yes. This, this thing happened and now I'm dealing with it. Yes. Something that you can actively pinpoint. Um, I always thought that, that that's what it had to be. That was what caused PTSD. I didn't realize that you could experience a um, an emotional trauma and have PTSD. I didn't realize that mm. you could have small experiences that added up altogether could equal um, extreme trauma. I didn't, I was not educated enough and I didn't, I didn't talk to people. So I had this experience and then um, didn't tell anybody for two years. And I started developing all of these symptoms that now that I understand what PTSD is are very stereotypical of a PTSD diagnosis. And so I started experiencing night terrors. I started experiencing um, flashbacks. I started experiencing a severe anxiety. And there was a period of time where uh, I just could not speak about what had happened. Um, I could not, if I even thought about it, I would go into this tunnel mm-hmm. um, where I could not see or process anything other than just reliving this experience. And it took me two years of battling that on my own for a variety of reasons. For, number one, just not knowing what was happening. And then number two, that for me, there was a lot of shame that I carried um, because of some church experiences, some, some religious dogma that I had stuck in my head. And um, so there were a lot of factors that kept me silent for a really long time. And then finally, after two years of it, my sister had gone through her master's in counseling and she recognized certain signs. And so she was able to to approach me about it and say, I think that we need to get you some help. So she got me into therapy. I did some cognitive behavioral therapies. Um, I did some regular emotional response therapy that's more typical of your general like if you mm-hmm. go sit down with a counselor and just talk mm-hmm. about your feelings you know <laughs> which is the more day-to-day counseling you lay down on the couch right <laughs> and how does that make you feel yeah. <laughs> um, so I did some of the more um I guess average counseling and then eventually a few years after that um I still carried it for five years total quietly Um, without telling more people. And then eventually I told my mom because it was affecting me to the point where I felt like my mom needed to be brought in. Mm. Um, Then my mom shared with me that she had experienced uh, significant trauma as well. And she had been through EMDR. So she wanted to introduce me to EMDR. So that's how I got started. And I remember not being able to speak certain words, not being able to acknowledge certain things that after a few sessions of EMDR, which I did, there's a couple of different ways you can do it, but I did the, the rapid eye movement, um, of watching a light ping pong back and forth on a board and just you, you follow it with your eyes 
and you talk about your experience and the therapist asks you certain questions and through the process of that it almost it it causes your brain to focus on the trauma differently and I wish I could explain the science behind it, but it's Cesar's like, like going to do it. Like you're distracted. And I, yeah, it's almost like it turns you from processing it emotionally yeah. to processing it logically. Okay. And so you're using different sides of your brain. Yeah. And your, your, your reactions become less about um, reliving the experience. Um, and more about retelling the experience, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm not I'm not having a physical, um, emotional reaction. I'm now having a. These are the facts. This is what happened. Yeah. And and this is how I can I can still acknowledge the emotion, but it's not going to take me back to that tunnel. Mm. Um, and it's not going to put me back in that place of of feeling completely emotionally distraught from it, where that's what it was doing before. So. I remember coming out of my fifth session and that was the day that I went home and I was talking to my mom about it. And I said, um, my abuser's name for the first time. Yeah. And I just remember how big of a deal that was. Mm. Um, and then it's not to say that EMDR cures you of everything. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, some people say you go through this process and you're no longer diagnosed with PTSD. I may not be, and I may not have an active PTSD anymore, but I can still have times where I become triggered by something and I can still have times where I have an emotional response to something. Um, but it's nowhere near as significant as it used to be. So even just a few months ago, I shared in our small group a while back that I was having a conversation, um, with a a gentleman who his tone came across as very aggressive Mm -hmm. And I had an episode where I reacted, um, that fight, flight or freeze response popped up. And so I have to be very mindful of that, that, um, that in particular men's tones can be very triggering to me Mm. if I'm not aware of it. And so I had that fight, flight or freeze and I had to sit there and, and, and now thankfully I've worked through the process of, of dealing with it. So now I recognize when that reaction comes up and I stop myself and I go, okay, let's, Let's use our tools and yeah. let's, let's breathe through this. Let's think about how to respond and let's not respond emotionally. Let's respond in a, in a way that is coming from a place of um, strength and is coming from a place of being very cognitively aware. And so it just gives you tools to be able to not react the way you used to. Yeah. Okay. Well, in, in, of a, Un, I don't. I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. So absolutely, um, this yeah. is all. This is all new to me in in this. You know, in this in this realm. So um, it sounds like this was. Um, you know, you obviously you experienced something that was that was deeply traumatizing and uh, lacked the ability to um, talk about it to do anything other than feel. Correct. Yeah. And then and then going through even specifically the EMDR that that kind of unlocked the ability to be able to start to heal, start the process. Yeah. Um, so when, as you, as you deal with that, as you're going through that, um, what did you experience as, um, the people around you? Like, how did they, what was your perspective of how they handled, you dealing obviously if you're if you can't talk about things and you don't talk about it, I mean think well, what did uh, Lauren say that uh, a, a lot of times the the wounds that that are 
that are hurting us the most basically are the ones that we can't see. And it's not exactly yes. what you said, but something along those lines. And they take longer to heal because you can't Absolutely. specifically, if you can't even figure out how to heal from it mm-hmm. or how to do anything, you can't even talk about it. Then, Absolutely. you know, how are we going to heal from it other than just, you know, push it down and mm-hmm. hope it goes away. Mm-hmm. So how, how did, how did, it, how did it, you know, if, if your mom didn't even know and it took your sister finding signs um, obviously you weren't talking about your experience and you didn't tell anybody like mm-hmm. right afterwards. So how, how did that, how did that function for the people that were around you? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was good? What was bad? What yeah. was, what was unhelpful? What was, is there anything that was helpful? Yeah. I think the normal reaction from people is to notice that something is wrong. Um, but their minds go straight to, other factors uh they they don't go straight to well they've just experienced something significant and I just don't know about it they go to wow she must be under a lot of pressure because at the time I was in college and so Mm -hmm. I think I think my family members who noticed it um and my friends who noticed it wrote it off as she's just going through a lot of stress because of school or she is um Maybe she's going through a phase in her early 20s where she's just wanting to to live life a little differently. So they kind mm. of write it off as something else because you don't want to assume that something really extremely sure. shocking has happened sure. to your to your loved one. Right. Um, so it took, I think it took two years for my sister to be able to put all the signs together because she just kept explaining it away and noticing these changes I gained um I I think everybody who knows me knows that I've struggled with weight off and on my whole life um but that was the first time that I gained a significant amount of weight I went from being you know like a slightly above average size person to being a very above average size person Mm. in a short amount of time and it was because that was one of my coping mechanisms was overindulgence in food Mm -hmm. um emotional eating and, um, and then one of my symptoms of PTSD was the night terror. So I didn't sleep for those years very well. I slept maybe two hours a night and I, I couldn't fall asleep till the sun came up. So, um, I, I experienced extreme laziness because of that lack of proper sleep and nutrition. And so they're seeing me suddenly be less active. They're seeing me be withdrawn. They're seeing me not want to be around other people, Um, I had an experience where my dad was standing behind me um, in the kitchen and I remember just being completely shut down by a male presence behind me because Mm. of what had happened. And and so I remember my dad noticing that I just like freaked out and didn't want to be around him. And that was strange to him. But he just kind of he questioned it, but didn't know what, what could possibly have happened. So he just kind of wrote it off as like, maybe I was being hyper emotional that day. And he just, Oh, okay. I guess she doesn't, she's mad at me or something, you know? So, um, there, there was a lot of confusion around it. And I think that's a very common reaction is, is just not knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, so once I finally did start talking to people, once people did start questioning me more and I started opening up, um, then there was a 50, 50 reaction of some people were extremely compassionate and understanding and, and they wanted to be a support system and wanted to show love and grace and everything. Um, and then there was another reaction that is a very old school church reaction of, well, root out the sin in your life, hmm. um, figure out what you've done. You did something. I did something to cause this. I had to, 
there was one person in particular that directly said, um, when I, when I was sharing this experience and this was way after the fact I'd already been through the EMDR processing, I was able to talk about it openly. And there was one person who I shared my story with and they said, well, I think you need to take some accountability for your, the, the role that you played Mm. in putting yourself in that position. And I mean, logically sure we can have that discussion but that's not really that's not really helpful it's not remotely helpful in the it's not moment. really helpful in the moment yeah i know you're healing but correct yeah. yeah and so it's it's so hard for people to know how to respond and then there's that other reaction of this makes me uncomfortable so uh, thank you for sharing i'm gonna Bye. run the opposite direction yeah <laughs> i'm gonna shut down this conversation uh-huh. as much as possible and that's it's it's normal it's normal for people to not know how to respond i feel that way a lot of times when people are grieving because i've never experienced yeah. a significant loss and so i oftentimes when people are grieving i tend to sit there and go uh, uh, how do i help you and yeah. how do i be the person who's not yeah. asking you what you need how can i just know what you need and right. give it to you you know and i think it's the same thing mm. with any type of mental health if people go, I don't know how to help you. Here's a meal. Yeah, right. <laughs> can can this be good? Uh-huh. Yeah. So mm. it's a variety of responses. Okay. So with your with your experience and um and and what has come since then, the conversations you've been able to have, the just the different experience different experiences that you've had throughout your life since then, um, what what would you say to somebody that's like, Yeah, but I don't I haven't gone through, you know, I didn't go through this acute, crazy, um, you know, major abuse or, um, as you said, war scenario of PTSD. Mm-hmm. So what what would you say to somebody is like, yeah, but mine's anything I've experienced is not anywhere near that bad. I don't I don't have to deal with it. I don't need to deal with this or I maybe I can just push it down and move on yeah. with my life because it's not really that blatant. Yeah, I think that's a very normal thought, too. And I, I'll even. I've already called him out today, so I'll call him out again. My husband, bless him. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Daryl, I love you. I love you so much. But he, in his mind, has never experienced a significant trauma. Uh Um, And he is very good, like many men are, at compartmentalizing. So it's very easy for him to set aside emotional stuff and and operate out of a place of, I just don't touch that. I just don't deal with it. If I don't think about it, it doesn't affect me. (laughs) And then that's all well and good but when you're dealing with somebody like me who has been through now years of of counseling and therapy and different different types of treatment um it's important for us to know how to meet in the middle for him to be able to say okay maybe there's parts of my emotion that I do need to handle and I do need to talk about and I do need to to process through Um, and then I have to kind of come over to his way of thinking and saying like, I can't force him to, Mm -hmm. to see the value in therapy. I can't force him to see the value in, in acknowledging his emotions because he has been raised his entire life not to process that. Mm. So, um, he is, he is probably never going to be as far along as I am as like, I want to talk about every emotion that ever pops into my brain. (laughs) And like, I, if I feel it, I say it Uh and that's a foreign concept to him and that's okay. Um, but he has a very hard time recognizing, um, anything that, that has kind of formed in him. So I'll be like, babe, that's a, you're having a trauma response. And Mm. he's like, but I don't, I don't have any trauma, but he doesn't realize that a lot of these little events that have happened to him can add up Mm -hmm. and can give you the same reaction 
or at least a similar reaction to someone who's had that one major extreme trauma. So you might have had, um, I'm thinking of one person in particular who over the span of a year and a half lost several close family members um, and experienced a buildup of grief and pain and even um, some traumatic events that they didn't recognize were traumatic events. And so that can build up and you can be, you can be responding um, in a way that you're processing trauma, but you just don't, you just don't know it because Mm -hmm. it's like, say it's easy for us to write it off and say, that's just my, I'm going through something. Um, It's just life. It's just life. Yeah. So I think it's, it's okay. We don't always have to default to, trying to diagnose ourselves or trying to diagnose each other. Um, We don't have to default to, well, you need to automatically go to the most extreme form of therapy to deal with this. We can go to, let's just start talking. Let's just start maybe for those people that don't want to um, think that they have any mental health support that's needed. Um, maybe we just start asking basic questions and maybe we do kind of go back to the therapist on the couch of, well, how does that make you feel? Maybe we just start acknowledging (laughs) our emotions a little bit more. And then that opens up the conversation and makes way for more healing and makes way for extended conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an old school mentality. We've talked a lot about in the sermon series about the old school mentality of the stigma, um, Mm -hmm. of mental health. And I think what people don't realize is that it's become a more popular topic because we've started to realize that every single one of us has a a need for mental health support. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're trying to battle that old mentality of it makes you you crazy if you need mental health support. But hey, every single one of us has experienced some type of anxiety, Mm -hmm. whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Every single one of us has experienced some form of extreme emotion that has taken a toll on our mental well-being and we just don't want to acknowledge it so let's let's acknowledge it well that takes me back to something that uh that lauren said um during a message i think it was a couple weeks ago um when he was talking about basically not comparing your trauma to somebody else's trauma Mm -hmm. or your mental health to somebody else's mental health well Mm -hmm. mine's not that bad so i don't it's not as bad as yours so yeah i can see why it might have been beneficial for you but maybe i don't need to because it's not as bad Um, but just the acknowledgement that we all deal with life yeah it's easy to say oh yeah it's it's life yeah i know i've said that you know in the last couple of years dealing with covid and yeah and uh health issues and stuff around our house and it's just like well it's it's life and um yeah it sucks but we'll we'll deal with it and and move on and 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 even seeing the recognition of okay well there, there are things that have happened and and so and so don't look at it and just go well you know um it's not that bad, so mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to take up somebody else's space and and not heal yeah. yourself, uh, and not deal with it yourself. But um, it also makes me think about uh, you know the the idea that that has been floating around for decades that that God won't give us more than we can bear. I absolutely despise that. I I, I apologize. I didn't warn you. I didn't give you a trigger warning before. Yeah. <laughs> that, <but laughs> I had a feeling that, that absolutely might be a, despise that because it's not scriptural, people. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible does he say he will not give us more than we can handle. I guarantee you that Job could not handle the amount (laughs) of catastrophe that he experienced, Mm -hmm. but that's not the reason it happened. I also, I say this all the time, whenever I do share my story with people, um, 
I always make sure that I say it was very easy for me to get mad at God through that experience and walk away from faith. And I took several years, you know, of that five years that I was processing mostly by myself. Yeah. Um, three of those years, I decided that I was agnostic. I believed mm. that God existed, but I thought he was the worst thing ever because if he existed and he let me experience that trauma after I had done nothing but be a good and faithful Christian, which is what I'd been taught, and I still experienced that, then I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Mm. Um, so it made me very angry and it made me very frustrated. And that's the number one thing when I talk to people about why um, they, if they're rejecting faith and I ask them why, a lot of times they say, because I look at the suffering in the world and I don't understand if there is a God, then he's not a very good one. Mm. And, and that breaks my heart because what people need to realize is that at no point in time does God cause your suffering or does God um, condone your suffering. God, his heart breaks for ours and his heart breaks for us. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is separate from him for a reason, because I believe that we are here to choose whether we want a life with him or whether we want a life without him. So in this world, we're going to struggle because we have to understand the gravity of what it is that we're experiencing. A life without him is going to be a life without love and without compassion, without grace and without support. So all of the the suffering that we experience, it's, it's because we are learning um, what life without him looks like. Mm. And God is here and he is still with us. And I know for a fact that the times when I felt peace and when I felt comfort and when I prayed to him and when I turned to him and I said, God, I'm broken and I need you. He was there with me every step. And I may not have been open to it. I may have been resistant to it. But as soon as I was open to it, I felt him there. And I, I wish people knew that, that God does not cause your suffering, but he will heal you from it. Mm -hmm. He will not... He will not leave you hanging, even if you've pushed him away for years and years and years. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's still there waiting for you. So um, I just wish that that was a more understood yeah. concept. Yeah. I think that that even leads to, you know, the, the he won't give you more than you can bear. It leads to the, the um, well, if, if these things have happened to me in my life, then it's on me to figure it out. And, and, uh, obviously he's not going to give me more than I can handle. Mm -hmm. So day by day, we're just going to plug along. along, you yeah. know, it's just going to, we're going to keep dragging ourselves out the door or out of bed or whatever, yeah. and try to move forward because yeah. I can do this. And, yeah. um, well, okay. So, so in, in thinking about the, uh, the message from the weekend and dealing with trauma as someone who has, um, experienced significant trauma and, um, at least experienced, uh, a, a chunk of healing, um, on the other side of that, like mm -hmm. what sticks out from you, out to you from, um, from the message from Sunday, um, and, and what Lauren talked about. I loved when Lauren said two different things. He said, we, when we experience trauma, we prayerfully press into God and we turn ourselves and give it over to him. And I know we've talked about that in a, the weekends past as well of casting your cares upon him. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like to cast your cares upon him? Um, for me in the process of healing, that looks 
like daily connection with him and daily reminders. It's very easy for me to still fall into old habits of the fight, flight, or freeze. It's very easy for me to, to kind of sit in that tension when I have something that happens that gets me worked up or gets my anxiety going. Um, And in those moments, I have to stop and I have to say, okay, God, whatever it is, whatever my reaction needs to be, I'm going to let you guide me and I'm going to stop and um, pause, reflect, pray, and lean into that comfort and that peace. And if I sit quietly long enough usually sometimes it's quick sometimes it's a couple seconds sometimes it's several minutes sometimes it's a couple hours sometimes it takes a while for jesus to work in me the way i need him to (laughs) um but if i sit quietly long enough before i act and before i respond then i can press into who god wants me to be and i can respond that way um as best as possible i'm still human but as best as possible and more often than not i think that i'm successful um at that and then Lauren also mentioned that God can't change our past but he can heal our broken hearts so he can take what has happened to us and he can use it for his good and I remember um I became a teacher gosh how old was I five years five years after um my trauma I became a teacher and my very first day of teaching, I had a student come up to me and say, um, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to talk to you. And Mm. I said, okay. (laughs) And she, and she said, I experienced, uh, also a traumatic event that was similar to something I had experienced. And she said, I, I don't feel comfortable telling my parents. I don't feel comfortable telling anybody else. And she said, but I just had this gut feeling that I needed to tell you. And I blew my mind Hmm. because for me the fact that she had that nudging was for me very clear evidence of God working and Mm -hmm. God taking something that had happened to me that he absolutely he hated that for me he Mm -hmm. did not cause that for me but he took it and he said but I'm going to use it and I'm going to allow you to be someone that can help other people and it was through that process that I started counseling that student and then I decided I wanted to get my master's in counseling. So that's what I did. I eventually went back to school for it and, and got my master's in counseling and then went through seminary. And, um, and so now it's something that I'm extremely passionate about and I have been able to have these conversations with people. I don't, um, I don't have a, like a, a practice. I don't have my counseling license, but um, I I'm able to have conversations with people and have a little bit of not only personal experience, but a little bit of education to back mm-hmm. me up and have these conversations. And I would not have gone down that path if it had not been for my experience. And I would not have become who I am today without that experience so God definitely took it and he flipped it on his head and he said I'm going to make your life even more beautiful than you ever could have imagined yeah like a real understanding of yes eight, uh, Romans eight twenty eight of yes. God works all those all things together all for, things for the good of those 11 right? yep. um, not in the uh, 
okay, I know you're in your pain and you're hurting right mm-hmm. now, but it's okay. God works it all out. You know, yeah, yeah. Works it all out. It'll be great in the end. It's hard in the Thanks, moment to see that. It's hard in right. the moment to, and I, I mean, how, how can you look past the extreme pain that you're feeling sometimes? I mm-hmm. think that's such a hard, I mean, we have, we have all of these, um, social norms that we just kind of have to suck it up buttercup or deal with it on our on our own and and you're it when you're dealing with it on your own it's very hard to see past the pain that you're experiencing so i could i could give you romans 828 when you're hurting um but you're probably not going to be able to feel that until you're on the other side (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. but that hope and that trust that you can have the more and more that you experience things in life this this will probably not be the last trauma that i ever experienced yeah um because i'm alive so yeah right it's not going to be the last time that i have to experience some type of heavy pain but i do think that going through any further trauma in my life i will be better equipped to handle it Mm. well um thank you for uh for being here and uh, sharing your experience and what was helpful and, you know, the, even the things that are not mm-hmm. and, and the ways that we handle these conversations. And I hope that anybody's listening is, can can look at that and say, okay, m- maybe maybe I do need to go talk yeah. to somebody. Or, or maybe I need to be careful about how I have a conversation mm-hmm. when I can see that somebody's hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I, I think about there's a... a I think a new t-shirt company or something that's like, it's, it's like be kind because you never know what somebody's going through. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and so, and so thank you for sharing that. Even, even when, uh, even for somebody that, that maybe is looking at it saying, okay, uh, you know, maybe I, I haven't experienced this massive trauma in my mm-hmm. life or, or have these large events or even a compilation of, um, you know, of, of several small ones, mm-hmm. but, but now we can maybe have a, a little bit better conversation with somebody when they are going through something and yeah. they're dealing with something. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that. I thank you for being here. Um, of course. Thank you for uh, for basically filling filling the space here and and uh, with your with your story and your experience. So, um, we have a uh, an interview with uh, with Cesar that we're gonna get to. Um, Kelly, we'll have you back. I always love it when you're here. So love it. Um, thank you for uh, for letting me kick them out of here. They didn't really bail on me. They had stuff going on, and so you were you were the top of my list to make us uh, make this work and make it easy on me. So I love that. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So it's been the E6 podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information about Colonial at ColonialChurch.com, or you can go get our app from the App Store, or the Google Play Store. Um, we'd love to hear from you. I know this is a extremely tough topic to. Uh, to, to talk about and to deal with. Um, but uh, send us your questions, send us your feedback, podcast at colonialchurch.com. It's our email. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week again as we continue our conversation on mental health. And um, just hang on a minute and we will get to that interview with Cesar. Thanks so much for joining us, Cesar. We're here with Cesar Diaz, the man, the myth, the legend. Cesar, uh, you are one of our people. I'm so excited to have this uh, short chat with you. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a real, real pleasure. Yeah. Uh, we are recording this earlier uh, than our actual podcast. Uh, our podcast weekly is recorded on Mondays. Thank you for joining me on the Thursday before, just the way our schedules worked out um, for me and you. Um, 
But Cesar, I've been looking forward to have you having you join us and talk specifically about trauma. Uh, want to introduce you first. You are one of our long timers. You've been here, uh, I think, since did you say 2014? Since 2014, yes. Yep. Awesome. And you've served in different ways. You've not only been a part of our student ministry at one point. I think you're currently on our welcome team. That's correct. correct. Yep. Both my wife Linda and I serve on the welcome team. I see you yeah. guys greeting people um, as they come in. Thanks for serving. I know um, I I forgot this, but you shared with me you were a part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry, uh, the first go round. Yeah, back, no. Back Ed, in the day, right? Ed James was, I, I would say, really foundational to my own sense of recovery, um, and just having the opportunity to be able to watch him work, and then at the same time, just to be able to work with others who were coming from the community. At that time, we had individuals actually from uh, Red River's military unit that would come, as well as from the recovery center, and and just local individuals. And so, we would we would hold those meetings in where now the current offices are. And it was just it was just a really great Ooh. opportunity to see men and women come together to be honest, to be able to, you know, talk about those hurts and hangups and habits and yes. and and receive that healing. I, I'm not surprised at all that you were right in the thick of that. I I love that we have a long history with CR and it, it grieves me that that celebrate recovery, you know, took a big pause. Yeah. Um, that happens sometimes, you know, pe- leaders move and change and, um, but I'm so thrilled that it's back these last couple of years that it's been reestablished here at colonial on Friday nights. Um, if anybody didn't know it's the first third and fifth Friday nights they've shifted to here on Friday night at seven. Um, but you're one of our people and you're also a licensed counselor here, licensed therapist here locally. Um, I have, uh, I, I've known for a while that you specialized in trauma. You worked with, you were a former chaplain. You worked also, um, specifically with folks, with soldiers Mm -hmm. struggling with PTSD for quite a while. That really, that really was a lot of your learning ground, you would say, right? Yeah, no, it was a really incredible opportunity. So I, I, um, I, I owe, (laughs) I would say I owe a, a tremendous amount of debt to, um, um, Dr. Martin here locally uh, with Rose Street Mental Health. Uh, at the time, Dr. Martin, Dr. Harvey Martin, that is, was uh, and still is, I believe, the clinical director for the you know Red River Hospital. And at that time, he really encouraged me after I had come out of the military uh, and was working basically as a case manager there on the adult floor to go back and pursue counseling, to go back and pursue my degree. And that's that's exactly what I did. I had some really wonderful people that were kind of pouring into me um, and pursued my master's in counseling through Wayland. I already had had previous MDiv from long ago back uh-huh, when I was uh-huh. uh, doing ministry back in California and in Oregon. And it just turned out to be a wonderful experience. And so then when after I graduated from my master's level there at Wayland was able to then transition to the military unit. And there I was just really poured into by the people getting the opportunity to get a a wonderful set of skills to work with individuals that like myself had also experienced, you know, hurt and trauma. Um, At that time, you know, we were still near the tail end of, of some conflicts specifically in Afghanistan. And so it was really great just to be able to, to minister in, in just a different way and mm. to be able to share in those experiences. Mm. Yeah. And I know I've enjoyed hearing you say that your, your, your work now, the clients you see uh, that you work with as a therapist has really broadened and dealing with a lot of different issues and struggles. 
but you still, in so many ways, consider yourself a trauma expert, I would say. And I don't mean that like boldly, arrogantly, but in a good, you've got some, just some foundational work under your belt with tools to help really help people. Yeah, and I think, what, I think what's really great about specifically working in trauma and having that trauma background is you start to realize how much trauma influences just kind of almost every aspect of life. I, I do a significant number of couples counseling now, and as I'm working with you know couples, uh, you start to realize Oh, they they have trauma. They've mm. they've not spoken with one another. Um, when you look at some of the work from the Gottmans uh, and from the Gottman method of of couples counseling, you know they really talk about like what's your emotional heritage like? Like how did you how did you grow up in your family and how did you experience what was safe to say, what wasn't safe to say? Like mm. did did individuals nurture you or did individuals kind of turn away? Did individuals say, oh, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. And then, hey, let's let's think about dinner. Um, and it was just kind of a dismissal aspect. And so I think, you know, as people are starting to realize like, oh, we never talked about that in the mm. household. We never, we never spoke about that. And now I'm starting to realize why I get so tense when you leave the, you know, glass, you know, on the kitchen sink or when you don't pick up the clothes or when you um, tell me that you love me but you don't actually show me that you love me. And mm. so I think it's really kind of critical for those individuals to experience that, yeah. Mm. Well, today I want to talk specifically, man, we could talk about so many things, um, <laughs> but I want to talk specifically about trauma. Um, I know we're recording this before the weekend, before the Sunday morning teaching, uh, but you've, uh, I've given you the draft yeah. uh, of this week's teaching on healing from trauma, and you've read through it at least. Yes. Um, I would love to ask you, first of all, what jumps out to you? Uh, I'm not fishing for affirmation, and I want to remind people um, so much of this I'm taking from Life Church and from Craig Grishel and their writing team. And so um, this has nothing to do with kudos for you know that part of the teaching or that part of the teaching. It's really more from your expert perspective, what about this teaching, um, if anything, jumped out to you is especially helpful. Um, I'm inviting you to even say, ah, I don't even know that I would emphasize that or, sure. or I would push back in this way. I mean, I genuinely want to know what, what your thoughts are on reading through the teaching script for, for all of us this Sunday. Well, I think just not, not only just the teaching script, but I, I mean, I, I want to say this and, and it's going to come across as a kudos, but it is a kudos. Uh, I, I think it's really great that we are actually having this discussion ab mm. about mental health. I, I, I was just reading, there's the, the recent cover of the Newsweek articles talking about, you know, children and depression and anxiety and how significant those numbers are. Um, we're seeing, you know, just such a, such a loss of connection with Ooh. those individuals where, you know, upwards of say two thirds of them are feeling disconnected from their peers. You know, we don't, we don't realize just how significant community plays a part in the development of you know, emotions and, and just socialization. Ooh. And so I think for me, it's really wonderful to be able to sit in the pews and go, oh yeah, that's a really great point. And so when I, when Ooh. I think of, when I think of the, the teaching series and, and the draft that you presented, what, what struck out to me the most was that, that last piece where you say, we pursue purpose in trauma. Ooh. And I, and I love that. I, I love that because it's, I think often we don't ask the question, 
well, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, why? Like, I'm experiencing it, but what's the end goal? Like, is there an end goal? Mm. And I think for us to understand there, there is a purpose that we can discover and, and we've got to use the resources that we have available to us in order to do so. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I know that I personally resonate so much with, with that, that discovery, I would even call it. Um, because as I've gone through the hardest things in my life, Mm. um, I know, I know I hear people say this is this is a probably a, a saying that I hear people say well uh, you know what I'm thankful for that stuff because it's gotten me where I am now and in some ways I think that's that's not really very deep reflection well all this stuff that's happened to me well I'm, I'm not going to complain about it it's gotten to me where I am now but if there is a deeper element to it if it's okay this bad thing that happened to me or this hard season that I went through um, if I can look now as to, okay, how does God want to use that pain? How does God want to use that experience to bless others? Um, he comforts us so we can comfort others, you know, is what the scripture says. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll speak personally to it, you know, with my, um, with Carrie and I, our journey through infertility, which Mm -hmm. I talk about, you know, from time to time, it was so formative for us. It was so, I mean, it crushed us in so many ways it it made me question God for a pretty significant season, which is mm. really tough for anybody. Yeah. Um, that I think that's part of trauma. God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? Mm-hmm. And and it took a while. I'm not saying it's easy to say this now, but it took a while. But it got us to the point eventually, and not just because we had a kid, not just because we adopted a kid. You know, it got us to a point eventually where we were able to sit down and weep with someone going through infertility we were able to be sought out even because we were open about it sought out by people even to this day there's a couple in our church right now that is struggling with infertility and we have sat down with them and talked to them and can they know we can relate they know we can empathize you know and to see god's work through that to get us to, and it even is beyond infertility. Okay. Somebody who went through pain that is not something I can identify with. I can still identify with the pain, right? Yeah. You know, they're mad at God about this or that. And I didn't go through what they did, but I can, I can relate to being mad at God, you know? And so there's something about beautiful. I mean, downright beautiful about finding purpose in our trauma. Yeah. And I, and I think for so many, (laughs) I think for so many of us, uh, including myself, like just that idea of how do I, how do I really make sense of this? What can I make sense of this? Um, I, I was, you know, you, you had sent me the draft and, and I, uh, was thinking about the, the conversation that you guys had last time on the, on the podcast. And you were talking about the idea of like holistic health and, you know, exercise. And so, you know, today's my, my run day. And, and as I was meditating and I was praying, I was thinking, I was like, okay, so Lord, what are you, what are you trying to say to me in this moment? I, I started thinking about James and we, we don't really remember. And I don't think we think as much about James as we do say Paul. And, and, mm-hmm. and like you mentioned in the draft, you know, Paul writes two thirds of it, but here's James, the half brother to Christ who writes this incredible short letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he saw his own brother 
experience one of the worst ways to go. Yeah. One of the worst forms of death, of, of capital punishment in really the whole of the Roman Empire. And, and I love, uh, and I, had, I wrote it down this morning because as, as soon as I got home, I you know, promptly cleaned up and ran past my wife and made sure I was clean. But <laughs> I, I, I went to my book because we, we, um, I'm an avid fan of Stoicism. And so uh, in, in Stoicism, we talk about this idea of remembrance books, like writing things down so that we will remember them. Ooh. As much as I like digital technology, I'm, I'm still somewhat analog. And I love how James opens his letter after the initial greeting. And if I can, I'm, I'm going to read it here. He yeah, says, please do. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Ooh. And and I love that line, let perseverance finish its work. Like, like there's a process that has to occur. I Ooh. think for so many people, when we when we think about trauma, it's like, oh, that happened to you? Eh, suck it up, buttercup, as we would say in the military. Right. You know, right. like just just push on, move on. And we need to honor our emotions, you know? There's, there's a, there's a, you know, I think, especially when you think about like the forms of trauma that you talk about in, in the script there, you know, the idea of acute and chronic and then complex, mm -hmm. we, we really also talk about, especially in the trauma world, we talk about the idea of events and effects, you know, Ooh, yeah. and, th and then we also talk about experiences like you and I might have the same event occur to us, much like you talk about like you know, crashing your motorcycle. Um, you, you might even have similar effects that we might, but our experiences and how we are shaped from our history, that then informs, is this going to be just, uh, I'm going to be able to process this in a week or two with somebody, or is this going to be, oh, I'm going to actually have to like sit down and wrestle with this. Ooh. And this is going to alter my worldview a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think that notion of, What's my experience? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the real beauty in, oh, you have that experience? I have something similar. Ooh. Okay, so now, now we can communicate. Now we can, we can talk. We can yes. share in our story. Yeah. Okay, speaking of, of sharing and processing, I mean, you're implying there, there's the processing alone. Um, there's that stoicism. There's that, you know, I've pulled out my journal. I'm yeah. being honest about it. I'm, I'm naming it. I'm processing through it on my own. But one of my strong convictions, I don't know how well this is going to come through in the teaching, but we don't heal in isolation. You know, we heal in community. Even if that community is only one or two other people, we heal in relationships. God made us relational beings. Um, you obviously, as a therapist, you sit down with people. You know, you don't just say, read a book, you're going to be fine. You sit down and, and there's give and take, there's conversation. I have this burning question in my mind because I know two people right now that I really care about that um, have said to me in so many words, you know, I just, I don't need to see a counselor, you know, I'm fine. And, and they know they're not fine. I know they're not fine. And I don't know how much of this is generational that you can speak to. There was a time I think when, if, if you go to a counselor, you must be insane. 
you know. Oh yeah, and I, like, I know that shifted for younger generations, yes, but yep. but I think my age, I'm 52, I'm right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's a varied response to the idea, even us going through this series as a church. It's a varied response, I'm sure, of people going, "Why are we doing this?" All the way to, "Oh, I'm so glad we're doing this," you know. But more to the point. I know you're biased. It's your livelihood. (laughs) But what do you say to people who, if they were honest, would say out loud, that's for people that are way more messed up than me. That's not for me. I'm not, I don't need to sit down and process this with with trusted people, not even just a professional, but I don't need to talk to someone about this. What would you say to that? So I'm, I'm trying to think of a really nice and gentle way to, to respond to that. I think I would say, so who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. Because you need to talk to someone, you know, like, like who, you know, just that idea of, again, like for us as a church, like, okay, so, so Christ had his 12 and he certainly had more than 12. We, we know that from scripture. But, but then he had his three, you know, he had his, he had his intimate individuals that he went to. And, and when you look at every statistic, you know, every longitudinal study that talks about like the health of a person, how we can measure the success or happiness of a person. One of the key characteristics is what's your social network like? What's your friendship like? Ooh. And and we and and you know the number often you know you vary somewhere between five and seven, but it it is this idea of like we need to have, you know, on average between three to seven intimate people in our life that we can turn to, that we can talk to, Ooh. that we can share. Um, and it might be something as simple as like, hey, I'm really sore the Phillies won, or I'm really glad the Astros won. Phillies or, did not win, by the way. <laughs> just to be or, clear, just to be hey, I'm super that. excited about, you know, World Cup, and I don't know if they should have chosen Qatar. Like, uh, I <laughs> right, mean, like, right. a- any of those things, too. Hey, I've got issues. I've got issues with my kids. Hmm. Um, I mean, one of one of the, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I, I, I love him dearly. I get to I get to see him much like you said, you know, you're 52. I'm in the period now where all of my friends were now turning 50. And so later this year that for, for Christmas, I'm going to go see one of my best friends. And he he was just here recently in Texas. And the conversation that we had, it, it wasn't like, hey, how are things going? Let's catch up. It's been almost a year. It's been over a year since I saw him last. He was at my wedding in 2021 in the summer. And instead, for for two and a half hours, he and I drove, and he was just honest with me about the challenges that he's experiencing with his son. He was Ooh. honest about the challenges he and his wife, and and I just listened, Ooh. and we prayed aloud because you have to when you're driving into the jeep, you know. <laughs> but I, I mean, it was just such a wonderful experience. And, and afterwards, you know, he's, he had sent me a text message and he was like, I'm so sorry. I just, I just, you know, kind of verbal vomited. And I was like, but that's the best thing ever. Like, it's so wonderful that, you know, I, I don't see you for almost a, you know, 15 months. We talk regularly throughout the week. And the first thing you do is you're like, I'm going to lay this on your heart. I just need to get this off my chest. I need, I need to speak with one because you are in my circle. And that's beautiful. Ooh. And 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 so 
to those people who say, but I don't need to talk to somebody. I'd say, but you do. And so who are you talking to? Mm. And, and I think the wonderful thing about, you know, talking to counselors, whether it's Christian or secular is, you know, it, it, it does have to be, you know, as we would say, there has to be like that therapeutic alliance. You have to find the match. Uh, it, it might be, maybe they're compassionate. Maybe they're kind. Maybe they push me a little bit. Um, maybe they, they encourage me to think about new ways of, of thinking of my problems um, and, and what I'm experiencing. They give me new insights. They, maybe they don't talk a lot. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I love, you know, again, it's like I say with my stoicism, like, the, the founder of Stoicism, Zeno, you know, he, he has a wonderful series of phrases that, that have passed down to us now from history. And one of them is, you know, we were born with two ears and one mouth, Ooh. which means we should listen twice as much as we talk. And I, and I think that's really the kind of the characteristics, like who's, who are you sharing your story with? Who's listening to you? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. Hey, I've, I've got two specific things I want to ask you. Um, and one is a little more academic for sure. And then one is, I hope, I hope much more accessible to, uh, to many of us academically. Um, I want to ask you about EMDR. Um, I am fascinated with what little I know about this approach to therapeutically helping people with trauma. So can you give us, uh, just in in layman's terms, best you can, a very brief explanation. What is EMDR? Right. Okay. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it began roughly 30 years or so ago um, in a series of trials that was occurring in, in processing just trauma history. And the early clinicians began to realize if, if I move a particular object, and at that time we were using pencils, um, so for the clinicians who were brought up in that form, the idea is you will talk about your trauma, you will focus on an object that is then moving across your eyes, um, which is then stimulating aspects of your brain to then process what you're experiencing. So that's, that's, that's a very complicated way of saying, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to bring the body and the brain together. Mm. And so what we really talk about is this idea. Um, and, and there's, there's a wonderful book, a very great, heavy academic book called, uh, the body keeps the score. And, and in it, you know, the whole genesis of it is we store trauma within our body. Mm. And so in order for us to be released from that trauma, we have to release the aspects of our body. And so EMDR and the way that I was trained is we use tactile sensations. So we use the, the particular form is called bilateral stimulation. So you can use uh, a series of what we call theratappers, which are these small little devices that you would hold in your hand. You can focus on a light bar. You can focus on a pencil or a pen. Um, or in my particular case, I, I was trained in the tradition of tapping someone's knees. And so the idea is beginning with a, a standard kind of assessment phase where you just ask some questions about, you know, what is the issue that you want to discuss? What's the image? And that's the real key for us is what's the image that you have? So if you think of something like, uh, something as simple as I'm not worthy. Okay. That's uh, that's a, that's a, that's one issue that probably everyone could probably easily relate to. 
but there's a particular image associated with that thought. And so utilizing uh, a scripted form, and it is really a scripted form, utilizing those scripted interventions, we, we move from what we would call the, the negative belief or the negative cognition to the positive cognition or the positive belief. And, and the cool thing about EMDR is we're not, we're not erasing your trauma. We're providing you with a different way to look at the traumatic event. Uh, and, I, and I think that's really kind of the, the key is I, I have this trauma. I have this issue. I have this incident that's happened to me. And because of it, this is what I now feel. And this is what I now believe. And so I want to really reframe that. And, and it's just wonderful because, I mean, it, it, and the great thing I think for me as a therapist is I don't really have to do much. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty silent. Like one of the, one of the, one of the main journals um, that, uh, that EMDR therapists regularly subscribe to and, and we subscribe to at the practice where I belong is called go with that because that's literally what we say in session. Like <laughs> we just go, okay, go with that. Like, like whatever you're feeling, just go with that and, and, and close your eyes or, you know, um, just kind of have them go soft and think, you know, to something beyond my head or something like that. It's this idea of like, just go with what you're feeling and Ooh. allow yourself to naturally experience that healing. And so I love it. I mean, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen clients in two, three, four, sometimes six sessions and you just see, you see such one, I would say really relief you know, that, that they don't have to hold it anymore, that they don't have to hold on to this pain and hurt. And then two, it's that sense of, okay, so I can just, I can just let that go, you know? And, and I love it because I get to see, um, you know, we talk so much about like, where do you store like that trauma in your body? Where do you feel that emotion? And then you literally get to see it just release. Like so many people will come into the office and their shoulders are so tense and their neck muscles are so tense and, you know, they're holding on to their hands so tightly. And as we're doing the interventions, as we're going through the processing, you start to see those shoulders relax. Wow. wow. You know, can, can I, I, <laughs> I just say I'm fascinated by this. It's really great. I'm like, absolutely blown away because first of all, at first hearing, it sounds, it sounds nutty. Oh, I it, will. It, I, yeah. It I, sounds I, like, like I think of hypnosis or sure. I think of, and, and for, first of all, I don't, I'm naive about, you know, what, what good can come from hypnosis. But right. my, my point is. I think about hokey stuff. I think about neurolinguistic programming from like I, the 1970s. Yes, sure. Yes, and it just really, sounds yes. weird. Yes. And if anything, maybe one of our some some of our listeners are like, okay, now I want to go see a therapist even less than I did 10 right. minutes ago. You know, but but what I have read is overwhelmingly, um, what's the word? Effective. Effective. Yeah. Like the the number, and not only effective. But in a relatively short period of time, I mean, what I have read about soldiers diagnosed with PTSD mm -hmm. and then seeing someone and going through EMDR treatment mm -hmm. in a handful of sessions, six sessions, nine yeah. sessions, 12 sessions, and no longer diagnosed with PTSD. Now, does that mean they don't experience, you know, flashbacks, flashbacks and stressors? Like sure. Absolutely. Yes. But. That is blowing me away because in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's a lifelong burden they're going to have to carry. Right. You know, for, for some people, 
especially going through the most horrific of things, whether it's war or rape or or things like that. Abuse, I, yeah. In my mind, I'm like, okay, that's something you have to live with for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. And then EMDR comes along and says, well, not nearly as significantly as you have to. Yeah. In a relatively short period of time. Yeah, it's it's really great. I mean, the, the, the idea that I can have an event occur, especially thinking of like childhood abuse, where I, I walk away from this event and I think, well, no one can be trusted. Mm. And then I live the next 30 or 40 years of my life that way. Not trusting people. Not trusting Pushing people. people away. But I'm still a human, so inevitably I find myself in relationships and then those relationships go sour and then mm. I'm still walking away, see, no, you can't trust people. And then I try it again and see, you can't trust people. And then they come to my office and they're like, yeah, so I don't trust people. I'm like, great, let's let's process that. And and then to see them walk away going, oh, well, I, I may not necessarily trust everyone, but I can trust some. And, and it's that shift for them. The ability that I came in here five, six, eight sessions ago, not trusting a single person, and now I I can trust some and oh, and that, so that means I can actually have some relationships and that means I, I can life changing. Yeah. There's nothing I, short of I, life changing. It, it's the idea of like, I can be authentic mm. and I, I can be, I mean, you, you talked about this idea of like being relational. That's really what needs to happen is we're about creating relationships. And so I, I think for some people who might go, well, EMDR sounds really hokey and I don't know if I want to, you know, hold on to some electronic tappers or watch a light bar go back and forth um, or, or have someone, you know, tap or, or even, you know, tap my own self, as we would call like the butterfly tap. I, I, I would honestly say, but but what's the hurt? Mm. You know, might you experience growth and, and what would that growth look like? And then not what growth will look like, you know, six weeks from now, six months from now, but what will growth look like six years from now? You know, imagine if you keep that same pattern of, I don't trust anyone. What's your life going to look like 10 years from now? Mm. What will it look like if you trust some? And then that gets reinforced by trusting others and trusting more and more. And then pretty soon you're like, oh, I can trust people. Great. Mm. Then, then it worked, you know? Yeah. That's fast. That's absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think that's one of the beautiful things that for me is I get to, I get to be this wonderful witness to change. Um, and as I tell all my clients, like my goal ultimately is to write myself out of their life. Um, <laughs> is I, 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 I want you to experience the change so that then you take that change and you make the next step and you make the next step. And then I, I don't need to accompany you any Ooh. further. You, you find new people to accompany you with on that journey. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very academic, um, I don't know if I'm using the right word, but it's, it's a heavy, uh, expert f field, you know, that, that most of us don't have access to, but it's so encouraging to know it's available to people. It's so encouraging. It, there's an invitation to all of us to experience that kind of, uh, specific treatment. Uh, you mentioned the body keeps the score and, um, that's a thick, hard to read, um, academic book in so many ways. Um, I want to bring up another book that you have recommended that my wife is just, just dancing around the room going, this is amazing. 
and it just seems much more accessible to people. Uh, I want to put this in our show notes. It's called What Happened to You? Uh, Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. Uh, it's on the New York Times bestseller list for quite a while. Um, what happened to you? What What can you tell us that you like and you recommend about this book, Cesar? I, I think what I like so much about this book, and um, you know, it's it's really a series of conversations between Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And so, coming out of both of their works, um, hers with just the the am- amazing work that she does with rescuing you know young women. Um, and, and helping them adjust to life here in the United States. But then also I think just her asking the question that so many people ask over and over again, it's like, did I do well? Did mm-hmm. I did I do okay? And and what I love about the book is it's just it's just a very simple, easy introduction with some really heavy research behind it of why we act the way that we do. And and I love just the title of it. I mean, it, it always kind of struck out to me the idea of like, what happened to you? We often ask, well, what's wrong with you? And and one of the first things like I like to ask like a client when they come into my office is, tell me a story. Hmm. And you know, of course the answer is like, well, what do you want to know? I'm like, well, whatever you feel like sharing, you know, what's your story? Um, I, I want to be a part of that. I'm, I'm being, I want to, I want to offer that invitation. And so I love this book because it is exactly just that. You know, Dr. Perry talks about some of his experiences working with just some really amazing, you know, recovery aspects in terms of trauma and children. You know, Oprah does some of the same things. And then they they basically blow up that conversation into, okay, so how do we look at the idea of fear and trauma and resiliency? Things like adverse childhood experiences. What does that even mean? The idea of trauma, uh, going back again to that idea of events and effects and experiences, um, noting that, you know, even the idea of like distress, like you and I, something might happen to us and, and it's a very, it's a very low distress because, because we're for the most part, stable-ish, you know, stable-ish. <laughs> we're stable, I like that. We're, we're stable-ish. Healthy. We're, 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 we're healthy-ish, <laughs> but someone who has experienced a great deal of adversity, um, and, and this, I think, is one of the really important pieces of the book is to recognize that, you know, I, I might have a very what we would call a heightened state of arousal. You know, I, I might regularly flood cortisol, which is a wonderful hormone that helps us, but it might regularly be flooding into me when I'm just at the Walmart checkout line, you know, something that would be fairly normal for most people might be one of the most distressing events that they encounter all day. Mm. Um, the idea of, I can't find a job because the idea of going on a website um, just feels overwhelming. Mm. The idea of you know, getting into something like an elevator or talking to someone, just you know, uh, ordering stuff online. You know, I think there's a reason why people do more of that than go to a store because I just I just don't want to have to deal with people because mm. I'm so afraid of what they think, what they say, what they're gonna, what they're, what they're believing, you know, in their head already mm. about me. Mm. Yeah, and so it's just great. I mean, it's just a wonderful conversation. Love it, love <laughs> it. Thanks for that. Well, let's land the plane here, Cesar. I would like to finish with a question. Um, you have discovered so many ways to help people. You have. Uh, encountered people coming from so many different places, experiences, directions. Um, what does it mean for you as a Christ follower? Um, I know you love Jesus. <laughs> what, what does it mean to have him at the center of all this? 
I'm putting you on the spot with that, I know. Okay, so I... Um, for you, I, just you personally, what does that look like for you to keep Jesus first and at the center of, of all this work that you're doing, the your, everything, your life? That everyone I see bears the image of Christ. Mm. I, I, I mean, as, as you were asking me that question, so early in my formational history when I was in seminary, I, I got the amazing opportunity to work with this wonderful little five foot one Franciscan nun. And, and we, we did asylum work for individuals who were fleeing. Uh, and I was specifically assigned to, to East Africa, um, or rather West Africa. So I was specifically assigned a whole series of Kenyans who were coming to the United States, who were fleeing the persecution from the nineties and early two thousands. And so I worked with Kikuyus and Kalenjins and, and the very first lesson, and we were in this shabby, rundown church in the basement and we shared space with the the homeless newspaper that was there and the very first words i can remember her telling me is everyone who comes in this place bears the image of christ everyone doesn't matter what they look like doesn't matter what they're wearing doesn't matter what language they're speaking it's everyone and so i i have i have taken that and i and i try to do that every day with people around me. Everyone I see bears the image of Christ. Okay. So if everyone I see bears the image of Christ, is this how I would act? You know, and, and sometimes I'll be a hundred percent honest. I I don't do very well. Sure. I I fail miserably. Sure. Um, I, I completely miss, miss the goalpost on that. Um, but I think it's that, that same, you know, idea from Thomas Merton, like sometimes I don't know where I'm going, but I think that the desire to please you does in fact please you and i Ooh. hope that i have nothing apart yes. from that desire and and that i think is the beauty you know like i i want to please you lord and i'm probably going to mess it up today but that's my goal yeah Ooh. love it yeah cesar <laughs> thanks for your thanks for your uh, time in this interview thank you even more for being a part of our colonial church family and journeying with us. Um, love you, brother. Thanks for, thanks love for you back. Yeah, that was All fantastic. Right. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Right.